You probably know, those of you who know me, know that I'm a runner, and I brought some of my medals today, my awards. <clears throat> this is a couple of favorites. Some people have a, dis- have a case, a bookcase or display case with all their awards. I've got a shoebox, okay? <laughs> so, but here's, here's one of my favorites. Of course, it's got a guitar. This is the Mississippi Blues Half Marathon from 2013, I believe. Oh, and I like that guitar. The, the actual guy that won the race got a guitar, a real guitar that looked like this. It wasn't me. Okay. Here's another one. John Williams and I have run this one several times. The Cades Cove Loop Lope, 10 miles around Cades Cove. It's obviously an 11-mile loop, but the race is 10. But cool race on a November morning. Oh, it's great. great. Well, it's also hard because it's hilly. But my personal favorite of all my awards This is a table fork, dinner fork. This was the Run to Eat 5K from 2012. Hattiesburg, Mississippi, a little church there out in the country, had a race to raise money for missions. All the funds, all the monies from the race went to missions. And and at the end of the race, everybody who ran the race got free pancake breakfast, thus the fork. That was a great race and a real good breakfast, too. And you eat when you run... Uh-oh, now I've gotten tangled up. Uh-oh. Would someone who can see, please take this off of me. <laughs> Why do I do these things? Don't take <laughs> First the microphone, then the metal, then, then my ear. Thank you. <laughs> Remember where you got that, all right? <laughs> Oh, now, what was I going to talk about today? I want to talk about the Unstoppable Church. Now, these medals, awards, have something in common. First and most important, they were not given out to the person who won the race. Because I did not win the race. I wasn't even the fastest in my age group. Second thing, everybody who ran got one of these. Everyone who finished got one of these which I think is noteworthy because it wasn't about how anybody did in comparison to everybody else. It was just to finish the race. That was a great thing, particularly if you run 10 miles or 13.1 or even three miles. Just to finish is a commendable thing. And these awards are given out now more and more, not just to the people who are the top in their age group or top in among old bald-headed guys or anything like that, but rather for people who finish the race. Now, we'll refer to that somewhere along the line in this uh, message today, but here's the big idea. The unstoppable church. See, God God has, if not a, a display case, if not a trophy case, he has trophies. It's people. We, God's redeemed people, who have come to know Christ, who who he has worked in our lives and saved us and forgiven us and made us new. And then we follow him and serve him and obey him. We are God's trophies, trophies of his mercy and grace. We are to be a demonstration to the world of who God is and what he's like, something of his goodness, kindness, power, forgiveness, grace. And as we look at the, 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 the unstoppable church today, that's 
second of two messages on the unstoppable church. I want to use the life of a guy named Saul of Tarsus as a, an example of God's mercy and grace. God's mercy and grace to him, but in a much broader sense, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Saul the persecutor, is an example for everyone of God's grace. And he was a great guy, and Saul was, and Paul was, and serving the Lord, but he was a great guy because of the great mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And that's the big thing. That is God's trophy. That is his statement to the world through us, through Saul, that he is a God of mercy and grace. And that's what we want to focus on. That's how we can finish the race, because of that mercy and grace of God. So, I want us to read together from first, you don't, you don't have to read it out loud, but my first big idea is this. Jesus Christ displays his infinite mercy by pardoning his enemies. Last week we talked about how persecution broke out and it was led by a man named Saul. We're going to talk about him. That persecution for, con- continued for some time. And we're going to see how Jesus Christ responded to this man named Saul. So follow along as I read. It says in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, verses 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, the church, believers, who were men, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. Stand, go, to the, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Let's consider first, before we see what Jesus did with this guy, let's look at his life for a minute. Saul was a ruthless persecutor. He believed that those who were preaching that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, were heretics, blasphemers. And they, they deserved no sympathy, no mercy, for that blasphemy, that heresy, they got. They deserve what the false prophets of old deserved, to be stoned to death, like Stephen, a man who's, in whose execution Paul had, Saul had participated. They claimed that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, Israel's king, the son of God. There's no possible way that some guy with a motley crowd following him who had, didn't have any theological training could have possibly been the Messiah. In fact, Nazareth was so looked down on that even one of Jesus' own disciples, when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's right, can anything good come out of Newport? Apologies to those from Newport. It infuriated Saul, that these disciples would say that Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the dead. First of all, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, cursed is everyone who's hung on a cross or hung on a tree. The Messiah being hung on a cross, 
he was cursed when that happened. There's no way that God would let the Messiah happen. And by the way, this resurrection idea, Saul had heard from the chief priest and the Sanhedrin what really happened. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. No, the guards who were guarding the tomb fell asleep, and while they were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. People had been sharing that message, giving that story for quite some time when Saul came along. These disciples said, these followers of Jesus said that the death of Christ was a sacrifice for Israel's sin and the sin of the whole world. And Saul of Tarsus was a zealous Jew. He, he studied the law of Moses. And he knew it was all taken care of by the law. The law of Moses. There was no need for a Messiah to die. The, the sacrifices that they gave week by week, year by year, that took care of it. And these Christians were saying that no one was righteous by obeying the law of Moses. That no one could keep it. And Saul said, I've kept it. I've kept it. That was, read Philippians chapter 2. He says, chapter 3, Philippians 3, he said, as to righteousness in the law, I was blameless. One of the places he says, I would, I, among you know, guys my age, I was at the top of the class. I was valedictorian of Gamaliel's school. And you're saying that it wasn't enough, that the Jews don't have it? that they needed a Messiah to come and die? No, there is no way. And he says, and, and this cancer of people saying that Jesus is the Messiah and going around telling in synagogues that he is needs to be eradicated. We've gotten it out of Jerusalem. Now we need to track him down in other cities. And so he heads off for Damascus. I love what it says. I love that. It's just vivid where it says, Saul still breathing murderous threats. You can almost hear him, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to track him down. I'm going to bring him back here and we're going to deal with him. And so he asked, oh, I, got, I got one here. Oh, this isn't one. But he said, he asked, went to the high priest and says, I want your authorization that I can go to these other cities and go to synagogues and I can say, Anybody that believes that Jesus is the Messiah, we're taking you back to Jerusalem for trial for heresy and blasphemy. If you were a believer in Christ, I would bet you'd do what I would probably do. I would be praying about Saul. And I would be praying, God, would you please deal with him? Protect us from him. Smash him if necessary. Because he's killed your people. He's destroying your church. He hates the name of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that it's all lies, this precious gospel that we have. He is opposed to you, Lord. What are you going to do about him, Lord? And for a while, nothing seemed to happen. But it was as though Jesus said, watch and see what I'm going to do with this man who is so opposed to me, so hostile to the gospel who is so convinced that he is righteous and that those who love me are blasphemers. Watch and see. And that's what we see, what God did, what Jesus Christ did with someone who hated him so badly. He set an ambush for him. Now, when I watch the old westerns, you know, you see the guy riding into a narrow canyon and there's steep walls and, and you can all, and the music changes, you go, oh, dude, dude, do not go in that canyon. 
Or don't, we're more modern, don't go down that dark alley. Do not go in that house. It is, you're, you're, you're walking into a trap. Well, there were no such clues. There was no dramatic music. Saul of Tarsus and companions who were there to help him be his enforcers to bring these people back to Jerusalem to, to trial, going along with no warning whatever. And then something so dramatic happened. It says in verse 3, that's dramatic. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from the balcony, no, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and so did his companions. And he heard a voice. And whenever you read the the voice of God in the scripture, I I want to do it loud or deep or something and sound like Adrian Rogers. I I don't think it had to be loud. It could have been like a clap of thunder. You've probably experienced that when there's a flash and a clap of thunder thunder simultaneously and every hair on your head stands up. It just is dramatic. It seemed like it was that kind of a moment. Boom! Or maybe it was as soft as could be. But this voice with power and authority like no voice on earth has ever sounded. Spoke to Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul had no answer, but he said, who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus did not strike him dead, but he did say, Why are you persecuting me? And in an instant, or maybe over the course of the next three days, because it does say that the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound. They didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. He had apparently been face down on the ground hearing this voice. He got up and he could not see. He was struck blind. And it says, they took him into Damascus, led him by the hand, and for three days he didn't eat anything or drink anything. I want you to re- try to imagine with me what that was like those three days as Saul came to this horrifying realization. The people I have killed for blasphemy, for heresy, they actually spoke the truth. I'm the blasphemer. They were the faithful servants of God. I am the one who has been opposing God himself. The one whose whose word I rejected, I've opposed Jesus Christ, I've hated him. He actually is the Messiah. He wasn't a false prophet. He was a true message from God. He's God's son, and I have killed his people and opposed him and destroyed his church. The high priest, the people who gave me this warrant, this permission to go and hunt down Christians, they actually rejected the Messiah. They actually crucified him. He is risen from the dead. The punishment, the judgment, the wrath, the death that I thought these Christians deserved 
that I was happy to participate in. I deserve that. What's going to become of me? What is Jesus Christ going to do with me? What did Jesus Christ do with him? He spared him. He forgave him. Eventually called him into his service. Made him, him an ambassador. I stay there in Acts 9, but I want to read from 1 Timothy. Saul never got over this mercy of God that he received. He refers to it repeatedly in, his, in the book of Acts and in other epistles. He talks about how he was a persecutor. He didn't deserve to be an apostle, but God spared him, had mercy on him. But in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul wrote this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. It goes on later in this passage and says in verse, verse 15 of First Timothy 1, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him and receive eternal life. That amazing mercy that Saul, the persecutor, received is available to anyone and everyone who will acknowledge their sin and turn from it and trust in Jesus Christ. Some of us who have know, come to know Christ have dramatic conversion stories, how our behavior at one time was so, so far from what pleased God, humanly speaking, what, what people would recognize as a, a moral, good, God-fearing life. Our speech, our conduct, our attitudes were so obviously changed when we came to know Christ. And others, it's not as outwardly noticeable. Sometimes people come to Christ at a young age and they have a tender conscience and they, and they, it's not, it's, they don't have this dramatic conversion. But every one of us, the Bible says, every single one of us, without Jesus Christ is spiritually dead and hostile toward God and doomed without God's mercy and intervention. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. My sin and your sin is so serious that it would separate us from God. It has separated us from God and will keep us separated from Him for all eternity. And no amount of good deeds or religious activity or human talent can remedy that. But God did what he alone could do. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins in our place and raised him from the dead to pardon and to atone for, to pay the debt of our sin. And I th 
the fact that Saul never stopped marveling and never stopped talking about the mercy that he had received gives me a reminder. I need to, to, to marvel at, to consider, to tell about God's great mercy toward me. And so do you, believers in Jesus. Never stop marveling at God's mercy displayed in Jesus Christ. Paul, I mean, Paul later, who changed his name and his life were changed, but Paul wrote that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He was the worst. He says, let that be a lesson to you. His mercy is available for any and everyone, no matter how far you fall, no matter how much you failed. But we must receive that mercy. We must admit that we have sinned, fallen short of his grace and glory. Now, I've told the story before, but four, four and a half years ago, I had quadruple bypass surgery, and my doctor had told me that I really ought to get checked out because I've had, I had both my grandfathers die of heart disease when they were in their mid-50s, and my little brother had a heart attack in his mid-40s, but I thought and said, I'm in good shape. I'm a runner. I'm thin. He said, we need to go ahead and get it checked out because and my friend John Williams said, Tom, you need to listen to what your doctor said. And I went immediately and did it. Now, I, I think I procrastinated for six months. And finally, I, th- I thought, okay, I'm not going to go by what I see in the mirror that I'm lean and mean or something like that. I'm not going to go by that. I'm going to go and get it checked out because there are things inside that I can't see. And the test came back. You, you, are, not a good, you are not in good shape despite what you think of yourself. You've got quadruple bypass, we got four blocked arteries. And so I had quadruple bypass surgery. Good reminder that we can't go by how we look, what we think about ourselves, what our mama says, my grandmother. My grandmother says, I was a good boy. The teachers in at least first through fifth or sixth grade said, what a nice child I was. And... (laughs) God saw it differently, and yet he had mercy on me, and he has mercy on each and every person who will trust in Jesus Christ, who will say, I am not a good guy. I need Christ. If we're going to be the unstoppable church, let me say one more thing. We ought to always remember the great mercy of God. I think that's part of what kept this man, Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, he became a, a missionary and an evangelist, and he started churches, and he preached the gospel, and sometimes he got put in jail, sometimes he was beaten, his life was threatened, once he was stoned and thought, left for dead. What kept him going? He said, I've received mercy from Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep on. I'm going to be unstoppable. Here's big idea number two from this man, Saul, and what Jesus did from him. is this. Jesus displays his amazing grace by allowing and enabling us to serve him. Now, I'll read one more verse. Yeah, you can leave it up there or bring it up there in a second. Back to our story in Acts 9. Saul is in Damascus. He is praying. He's not eating. He's thinking, what is God going to do with me now? And the Lord speaks to a guy named Ananias, who's a follower, a disciple of Jesus, and says, Ananias, 
Yes, Lord. I don't know what you say if God calls your name out loud. But yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the home of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Hey, that's my name. And that man named Ananias is going to come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. And Ananias, in typical faith, says, Lord, uh, I've heard many reports about this man and that all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I don't know if Ananias is implying, Lord, I'm going to tell you something you might not realize. Probably not. He's simply saying, I don't understand. Saul is blind now? Yeah, <laughs> he ought to, how is he going to persecute us if he can't see us? <laughs> Marco Polo, Marco Polo, <laughs> you'll, you'll never spot me, never catch me. No. And you want me to go? I'm trying to stay away from Saul of Tarsus, and you want me to go to Saul of Tarsus. And he's blind, which sounds like a pretty good thing to me, and you want me to put my hands on him and pray for him, and he'll see again. Why? <laughs> I don't get it. And Jesus answered, verse 15. Let's put that up there. Oh, yeah. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This man, let's focus on that part first. This man, Saul, the persecutor, my enemy, who killed Stephen, or at least participated, who has arrested men and women and taken them to prison it, in, in various cities. And there, was more, there were more martyrs than just Stephen. This man is my chosen instrument. His job, his responsibility, what he's going to do, he's going to spread my name, my gospel, throughout the world, the known world there, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to kings and rulers, He's going to plant churches all over the place. He's my chosen instrument. That is amazing. And Ananias, that's amazing grace. <laughs> Ananias was amazed when he, when he heard that Saul was converted, that, that, that he was God's chosen instrument. He wasn't the only one amazed. I'm sure Saul was amazed. He never got over it. But notice what Saul did it's in verse, or I'll, I'll read on here. At once, after Ananias went, put his hands on him, prayed for him, he could see again. He was, Saul was baptized. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and said, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Imagine if you were there. I don't, that's one sermon I would like to be in on. I wish we had it on YouTube. I'd like to see that one. Can you imagine this man comes into the synagogue? And they recognize him. They've heard about him, Saul. He says, I've got something to tell you and show you. I have a letter here from the chief priest in the Sanhedrin in Israel in Jerusalem. I have the authority to come here and arrest anyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, anyone who has been baptized in his name. The chief priests have given me the authority. 
That is a responsibility I cannot and will not follow through on. Let me tell you why. And imagine them sitting there going, what? And he begins to tell, let me show you why Jesus proved. Let me show you the scripture. We love the scripture here in this synagogue. I do, you do. Let me explain. And just going through it. And he said, and by the way, on the way here, he appeared to me. I hated him. I didn't see any of it. For three days I was blind. Listen, for my whole life I've been blind spiritually. Now my eyes right here can see. Now my heart, my mind, my spirit can see. Jesus is the Messiah. He appeared to me. He's forgiven me. And he's told me to tell other people, you, about him. Imagine being in on that sermon. Wow. For the rest of his life, Saul, Paul, as he was later known, proclaimed the gospel planted churches, wrote letters to strengthen Christians, even when he was beaten, arrested, and despised. Back to 1 Timothy. This was his assessment of his life and his service and his suffering. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service. It cost him. Jesus had warned him up front. I'll show you how much you're going to have to suffer for me. And he would say to the Philippians in chapter 3, I've suffered the loss of all things. and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. We, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are just as privileged to serve Jesus Christ. Our assigned task may not be, it's not the same as what Paul was assigned to do. God has assigned each of us a task to do. He's given each of us different gifts. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship. Not just me, Paul says. We, all God's people, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Peter wrote, let each one use whatever gift he has received to serve others as good stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter also wrote in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I have the amazing invitation from Jesus Christ, the command, the invitation to serve him, follow him, to use the gifts that he's given us. And he has promised to give us grace and strength to use those. He has not only allowed us, he enables us to serve him. We sang one of those songs that talked about the grace to live, the grace to serve, the grace, I don't think it mentions suffering, but it, we, God gives us grace for all of life. At the end of Paul's life, he was still serving faithfully. And his last, the last letter that he wrote was 2 Timothy, and I just want to refer to chapter 4. 
He says in chapter 4, verse 16, At my first defense, when he was put on trial, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Whatever Christians there were around him in Rome, just in a time of weakness, they let him down. No one showed up at jail the night before and say, Saul, you go on trial tomorrow. I'd like to pray with you. There was no one there. When he went on trial and he stood there before a crowded court, he looked out to see if there were any faces, someone that he knew. No one. He said, may it not be held against them. We all know what it's like to fail, have times of weakness. And he says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. This is Saul's opportunity before this court to say, here's why I'm on trial. Here's what I believe. Jesus Christ is the Son of God that died on the cross for sins. He has saved me. Use that opportunity one last time to make the gospel known. He said, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. I don't, he's going to die. He's, he's sentenced to die. The sentence when it came down was the death penalty. He goes, no, I've been delivered. I died. The, the Lord delivered me from failing and falling and, and, and crumbling at that time. He gave me strength to declare the gospel. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. He says, in, in a word, Jesus Christ is the one who's kept me strong. His, his grace has enabled me. His mercy saved me. His grace has given me strength. To him be glory forever and ever. And so to the very end, he was enabled by Christ's help to be faithful. He was unstoppable. I just want to close with reading from, this is Max Lucado's inspirational study Bible. It's just the Bible with some introductory comments and notes. But this is the introduction to the book of 2 Timothy. I think this introduction may have been written by Max Lucado, but this is what it says. I've kept the faith. Those were some of the last words that Paul wrote. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. They've taken everything else. They've taken his freedom. He's locked in a Roman prison. They've taken his possessions. He doesn't even have a shawl or a coat to keep warm. They have taken his churches. He will never see them again in this life. They have taken his future. He is sentenced to die. What do you have left, Paul? What do you have to show for your life? If you had stayed a Jew in Jerusalem, you'd have a seat of status and a house to retire in. If you had been more compromising, you might have gone unnoticed by the Romans. If you had been less passionate, you might have pastored a church and stayed in one city. But you were too convinced to compromise, too convicted to stay home. And now with the end in sight, with the verdict rendered and the end in sight, what do you have left? The old apostle leans forward with twinkles in his eyes and says, I've kept the faith. 
may that be true of me, of you, for all of our lives. And it can be true not because we are strong or determined or courageous, but that Jesus Christ has said that he would stand with us and walk with us. And when we fall and stumble, we call on him and he picks us up. May we be, you and I, the unstoppable church. His church is unstoppable because he is unstoppable. But we have the responsibility of calling on him and looking to him day after day. And when we fail, when we fall, we get back up and we say, Jesus, give me strength. That I might be faithful to the end. That I might run the long race with perseverance, fixing my eyes on you. You pray with me. Jesus, I simply want to lift up this prayer that was expressed in one of the epistles. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, and present you faultless before his glorious presence, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forever. Amen. I encourage you to stand, and just where you are, to pray. Asking for mercy and grace, if you never have received Christ. For him to open your eyes like he opened Saul's, if you never have come to know him. But ask for strength and grace to run with perseverance the races marked out for you.